Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Our Bible reading is from 1 Peter chapter 2 from verse 11 to 17. At the end of the reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. Please, wherever you are, just repeat by saying thanks be to God. 1 Peter 2, 11 to 17. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, City Church, and uh, welcome to our second live streamed uh, service. I hope you've been blessed so far. It's time for us to look into God's Word, and really at this time, we do need something that is unchanging in a very changing world. So can we just ask God to visit us by His Spirit as we look into His Word? Heavenly Father, we come to you at a time where we are so acutely aware of how much we need you. We need you, Lord. Not like we've never needed you before, but maybe at those times where we started to become self-sufficient because of the certainty we had of things that would happen the day after and the day after. Now, as we cannot even tell what is going to happen the next hour, we know that we need to depend on the fact that you, Lord, do not change. Your love towards us doesn't change. Your promises don't change. And so, Lord, we ask, O oh God, in one of those promises that as your word is being spoken, that your children will be blessed. Holy Spirit, we ask for your presence. Let it be with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I don't know um, how much you are into the prophetic, uh, but what I do know is that many people, Christians and non-Christians alike in this city, are beginning to increasingly view the practice of uh, what we can call end-of-the-year prophecies with a bit of suspicion. Um, now, I'm not a prophet, and I'm not the son of a prophet, and I do work for a non-profit organization. Having said that, though, my wife recently pointed me to the message I preached at the end of the year, um, and she showed some prophetic elements towards it, and let me, let me explain. 
As some of you already know, at City Church, we don't give end-of-the-year prophecies um, with our final service year. But upon reflection of the year that is passing and uh, contemplating an anticipation of the year that is coming, we often would theme our year. And last year, uh, at the end of the year of 2019, in thinking about 2020, we themed 2020 the year of perspective. And we really hinge that on Psalm 39, verse 4, where the psalmist asks God to show him his life's end. Mm, to show him his life's end. And in that context, the context of, um, of the message and the context of being more acquainted with our mortality, quite frankly, I think it was the most morbid message I've ever preached in my life. In that context, I did ask us as a church to be challenged by something, which is this, that in 2020, we should make our lives count. We should make our lives count. And I think more than ever, we do need that challenge. Now, I don't know how it has been for you in the week since our first live stream to now. For some of us, has it been a short week or has it been a long week? There's a famous uh, British Prime Minister, Harold Wilson, who once said that a week is a long time in politics. How about we examine our own week? The week that continues to see our world ravaged by the coronavirus and COVID-19. Within a week, we've seen that it is really no respecter of persons as high-ranking individuals like the heir to the throne of England and the head of their government being affected by the coronavirus to the chief of staff of our own president being affected by the coronavirus just within a week. Within a week, we've seen the number of infected cases and deaths rise continuously all around the world to such a rate that in the United States right now, they have had, they had more cases than China where it originated. Within a week, we've seen that here in Lagos, the numbers keep rising and rising and rising. And within a week, we have seen the movement of our movement restricted even more and more. I think we can modify Howard Wilson's statement and say that a week is a long time in a pandemic-ravaged world. And in these times, we should be asking ourselves as Christians, how should we live? Well, Peter has a message for us, and in the passage that we just read, he gives us a blueprint, and it's very simple. In verse 12, he says, live such good lives. In other words, the manner of how we would live should be so good that it visibly counts, especially in times like this. And so we've titled this sermon, Making Your Life Count. And we want to look at it in these three sections, or under these three sections. One. Preparing for a life that counts. Two, living a life that counts. Three, sustaining a life that counts. Preparing for a life that counts, living a life that counts, and sustaining a life that counts. So let's take the first point, preparing for a life that counts. Now, in case you missed my introduction, and in case you've been in hibernation for a long time, we are living in difficult times. Plus, and I want to speak, maybe regarding our, our nation and our city, those times will become even more difficult by a miraculous intervention. 
And that's really because Lagos is particularly susceptible to a greater and more rapid spread of this because of our population density and the number of people who generally have access to travel abroad. Now, in preparation for what we must do, we must first know what we mustn't do. As Peter addresses these Christians, he first calls them friends in relation to them. But then he calls them another word, exiles, which we have examined. But then he introduces even a different one, which he calls foreigners. And literally, the word translates to visiting foreigners. As visiting foreigners, in verse 11, Peter tells them to exercise self-control. That people who are foreigners or visitors to a particular place, one of the things that is mostly required of them is that they exercise self-control. He says, abstain, abstain. I don't know if you've ever received visitors in your house for a considerable length of time. I have. Or if you've ever been a visitor. But if you receive visitors, we do know one thing. How do you judge a good visitor? Well, you judge a good visitor as much by what they didn't do as much as what they did do. So, for instance, I hope they didn't run up the electricity bill and just keep lights on unnecessarily. I hope they didn't just take drinks in the fridge willy-nilly. I hope they didn't take an excess amount of meat because you know we like our meat. I hope... They didn't, take, they didn't use their shoes and walk on our cream or our beige carpets. I'm thinking about that. I think I've been guilty of that a little bit in some of our houses. But you can forgive me, I'm the pastor. But what Peter is saying here is that in order for us to live the way God wants us to live, we need to have the mindset of visitors. That is, we have to know what we must not do. And what we must not do is to... Uh, what, what we must not do is to give in to the evil desires that wage war against our soul. We must abstain from them. And this is already a running theme, as you can see in 1 Peter 1, 14 and 2, verse 1. He says this, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance or... Therefore, rid yourselves of malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Don't forget the idea. It's that being controlled by the things that make us selfish stop us from growing into the people that live the lives that God wants them to live. Now, I know you would say abstinence in self is not a way of life. And I agree with you. It's not. You cannot define your life by what you don't do. However, abstaining from the wrong things, even though that isn't a way of life, it sets us up for the productive lives that God wants us to live. And in this time, we want to be very careful about how we give in to the things that control us to be selfish. We must prepare ourselves by asking deep questions like, if God were to evaluate my lifestyle, will he judge me as selfish? Are there non-essential things in my life that I still cannot imagine being without? What am I willing to give up for the help of others? Now, if you don't think your scorecard is great, don't worry, you are not alone. I've tried to examine my own self too. But if we think that we are not, we are deficient in this, then we should 
ask God right now for his help. For his help to enable you through Jesus' death and resurrection, through the power of his Holy Spirit, to increasingly win that war. And as we continue to win, I think we are set up for the actual living. And that takes me to my second point. Living a life that counts. You see, as we've said, there's such a thing as bad preparation. Now, the result of bad preparation is that our lives do count, but our lives count in a negative way. You see, in verse 12 that we already read, he says this, that we are called to live good lives, but those good lives must be exemplified by good deeds. Now, no matter how we want to define what this good life is, it must be based on an intersection between Christian values and societal norms. What do I mean by that? That is, people who are non-Christians must appreciate that what we are doing is good because he says that they may see your good deeds. In other words, both you as a Christian and they as non-Christians should be able to see, observe, and evaluate them as good deeds. Sadly, having been badly prepared, we can live lives opposite to 2 verse 12 and also verse 15 where it says, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Right now, many professing Christians and Christian leaders are living lives such that non-Christians in the opposite rightly see as wrong. They rightly accuse us of doing wrong, which makes them more vocal against us rather than silencing them and makes them reject God rather than glorify him. And if I want to be more specific, I should say this. There are Christians advocating that we disobey government directives about not gathering to worship. Why? Because they say that we cannot disobey God and obey men or government. That is, we should not be told whether or not we should come together and worship God. We should be able to put in the right precautions. The government is overstepping their bounds. But notice this. Living such good lives involves submission to political authority. Verse 13 and 14. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as to the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and do and to commend those who do right. But then you say, well, how do I square that with Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4 verse 18 to 20, where the, the Christians first practice civil disobedience? And let me read that for you. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I say, well, they disobeyed the authorities at the time. I agree with you, but notice that what the authorities were commanding was specifically targeted at the Christians and practices of the Christian faith. It wasn't because the Christians were of any particular harm to the society. They were particularly targeted. 
In this particular case, our gathering itself is a threat to the society. What the government is asking us, and not just us, it's not against Christians. They're asking us, they're asking Muslims, they're asking people of every faith, and they're asking people of no faith. What they're asking intersects with the biblical command to love your neighbor. So, based on the command that we see in 2, verse 14 to 15, I want to clearly say this. If you disobey or advocate disobedience to the government's instruction so far on this matter, based on some kind of vision that you had, or based on some kind of conspiracy theory that you've cooked up, then not only are you being ignorant, careless, irresponsible, and foolish, let me say this also, you are being disobedient to God and you are hindering the cause of the gospel. Stay at home. On the contrary, we are called to live such good lives that result in two things, the defense of our faith, as you see in verse 15, but also the recruiting of others towards the faith, as you see in verse 12. And that concern is not just shared by Peter alone. Paul also, in 1 Thessalonians 4, shares the same concern. Listen to what Paul says. Paul says, And make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you. Why is he giving this instruction? He's giving this instruction because he wants a right public perception of the faith. Not an artificial public perception of the faith. Not that we are deceiving the public about the faith, but he wants the right public perception of the faith. And so he says in verse 12, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. You see, the good life requires that we have respect for everyone. I want you to look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, Show proper respect for everyone, to everyone. Love the family of believers. Honor the emperor. Now, the word respect there for everyone is the same word that is used. It's from the same root that is used where it then says, Honor the emperor. And basically, what it's saying is that we should pay all human categories their due. Pay all human categories their due. Now, some of those in the human categories are within the ecclesial, our ecclesial network, that is, they belong to our church, the family of believers. But notice he also says, honor, respect those who are outside of your community, everyone. And then he also says, you should give what is due to those that are in political authority. The way our faith is perceived publicly matters. In the 4th century, the last pagan emperor of the Roman Empire wanted to see a pagan revival in the empire. And in, uh, he wanted to see a pagan revival in the empire in the face of rising Christianity. But one of the things he recognized, it was very, very important, he recognized why Christianity had actually increased in the empire. And this is what he said. His name is Julian the Apostate. Or he was, he, 
his parents didn't call him the apostate, right? But he became known as Julian the apostate. And listen to what Julian the apostate said. When it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the pagan priests. So he's talking about a plague. Then I think the impious Galileans, that is Christians, observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. Later he then says, they support not only their poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. Whilst the men were seeing that the people lacked aid from the pagans, they saw that the people were being fed, both the Christians and the non-Christians were being fed by the Christians. He tried to get his priests to do the same thing, but the difference is that they didn't have any basis for which to serve people beyond themselves. This is why as Christians, and I want to speak to us in City Church, we have to do what not only the Bible tells us to do, but what this example of people who have gone before us have called us to do. In a time of great need, both within our church, City Church, but outside of our church with non-Christians, with people on low incomes, and those whose jobs may be at risk in the coming days, we must act. We must act based on two principles, as you saw in verse 17. We must love the family of believers. We must think about City Church. But at the same time, we must honor, give everyone their due as well. As Galatians 6 verse 10 also tells us, that you should do good to all men, but especially the household of believers. And so I want to explain to us how some of the steps that we are going to be taking as a church and then how you can participate in that. But the one thing we are pleading for, pleading for in this time, is to show sacrificial generosity. And here's how you can participate. There are two ways you can participate. The first one is regular giving. The church, and I'm not just talking about city church, and I do know there are abuses all around. And I've seen the things on social media. And I, you know, there's a sense in which you say, oh, it's not my church and all of those kind of things. There's nothing we can really do. But if we have to be the church, then we also depend on regular giving. At this time, for most churches, people's giving is going down whilst they are being asked for so much at the same time. Can I encourage us as a church, city church, that this should not be the time that your giving goes down? Apart from trying to run a church because we still do the normal things, we still have staff, we are still trying to bring church to us as best as we can. Apart from doing that, one of the things I don't know if some of us know is this, that we take a percentage of your regular giving, we set it aside into an account which we call our Mercy Ministry account. And from that Mercy Ministry account, from the center, we are able to meet needs of people in the church and people outside of church. We've already used that in the past to help um, pay people's rent, to help uh, pay people's school fees, to help people on certain programs, to help people with food. We've used that to offset some of the things that people have done with their justice initiatives at the GC level. We continue to operate that count. It is part of our DNA. But if, the, if our giving goes down, regular giving goes down, then also the amount of money that we deposit into the account also goes down. And so please, we ask, 
Again, pleading for sacrificial generosity, that you continue with your regular giving. But also, we are thinking of how we can boost that account even in a time where there is need. And so one of the things that we are doing is to increase the percentage of the deposit that we are going to be putting there. We are increasing the percentage for this time in preparation for the things that people are already suffering now, but people will suffer in the times to come. So we are increasing the percentage. Another thing we are doing is that we are redirecting some of the funds that were meant to use for some other things, and we are now redirecting it to that account so that we can boost uh, the amount of resources that are there so that we can help those who are most in need within our church and outside of our church. And one more thing from the center, we are also going to ask you to give towards a fund. We are creating a fund specially for this. That fund will still go into that account so that we can have a general pot. But what we're saying is apart from the amount that you regularly give, that you've committed to be giving to church from your income, can you also give additionally to this fund? And we're hoping with that that we can be placed in a better situation to not just meet the needs of people in our church, but also to meet the needs of people outside of our church responsibly. But there's more. If you participate with regular giving, we also want you to participate in spontaneous giving. Because no matter how much we're able to get in the center, we'll not be able to meet all needs. And so your GC leaders will be meeting you. Maybe sometimes there are some petty needs, and the GC leaders will ask around, can you be spontaneous? If you still have spare to give, please give. But also think about those within your circles. This is not the time, especially if you can afford it, to fire those who work for you. I know it's difficult, but a lot of people on low incomes have no chance of getting another job in this period. And so consider how you can continue to pay them even when they cannot come regularly. And also, there have been so many wonderful initiatives that have been going on in our state. A friend of mine, a former schoolmate of mine, had an initiative where they were trying to have a drive to, um, to get so many soaps and deliver to places where they most need it. Because many times we say, oh, you should wash your hand under running water. Many people can't even afford the soap. And there are many different initiatives springing up on social media. Check to be sure that it's authentic. But also, once you've done that, please try and participate in any way, in that spontaneous way. We need to serve our city. Jeremiah said this to the exiles in uh, Babylon. He said this, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper. Some of you are saying to me now, Femi, how can I do this? I only have for me and my family. And I'll say, be sure to secure yourself in, the minimalist way, in, in a minimal way as much as possible. Of course, you have to think about yourself and your family. But then ask yourself after that, what can I sacrificially adjust in? For example, my wife and I had to think about, you know, so many basic things and how we can adjust, how we can set ourselves up to be able to give more. And so, for instance, we said, we decided, and I know this may sound funny to some of you, but, you know, it's, it's an adjustment we've had to make, but we decided not to be using air conditions in daytime again. We use in the evening, and that's why I said some of you will laugh. But, you know, we figured if we don't use the air conditions in the daytime, even though it is really hot, it saves us more energy. And if it saves us more energy, we don't have, we, it reduces our energy, um, the amount of money that we spend on energy, so we have more to give. 
Some of you, especially the Yorubas among us, some of you, I really do think you should consider how many pieces of meat you take. We've said that we're only taking one piece of meat right now. Because if we take one piece of, imagine if you, didn't, if you took one piece of meat in the afternoon and one piece of meat in the evening. That basically means that you have halved your meat intake. And that means if we think over a period of a month, you will have more food or more money to be able to give to others. So think, be creative. Let God show you gospel generosity innovation in how you, you think um, you can meet the needs of others around you. That leads me to my third point, because what we are asking us to do is to live simply so that others can simply live. The third point, I want to talk about sustaining a life that counts. Just how free are we? In a time of increasing restricted movement, in a time of increasing restricted socializing, in a time of increasing restric restricted affection, how we display affection for one another. Some would say that the fear of COVID-19 has, in some sense, taken away our freedom. And yet, in verse 16, it says, Christians are free people. It says, live as free people. And there are many that are complaining right now, uh, maybe people of a libertarian-esque kind of thinking. We are complaining that our liberties are being taken away, particularly by the enemy, the government. And yet, Peter, who says live as free people, does not see any contradiction. On the one hand, he said live as free people, but is that same Peter that says live as free people that says submit to your authority? He doesn't see con a contradiction between living as free people and submitting to authority. Why? Because Peter says, when you submit, you are not submitting to the authority as slaves, but you are submitting to the authorities for the Lord's sake. Why? Because you are the Lord's slaves. In other words, for us, submission to authority or freedom for us is not an absence of duty, but a change of masters. And living as free people, and living as God's slaves liberates us to submit to the authority that he has set. This is the reason why we honor the emperor. This is the reason why we pay dues, pay the due to the COVID-19 that we should be. We pay dues to them, to it by restricting ourselves, even though we do not fear them. While we honor the emperor, while we Honor, in, the, in regards to um, uh, what we have to do, we honor COVID-19, we do not fear them. Why? Because it says, fear God. Christians are those who submit to authority, who pay everyone the, the due that is, uh, what is due them, who are liberated as free people, but are God's slaves. And therefore, they are also the ones who fear God. This fear is more than just respect and honor. But it is less than dreading his punishment at every corner. Christians understand that we fear God because even though COVID-19 can destroy our bodies, only God can destroy our bodies and souls, as Matthew 10, 28 says, 
Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. The one who can eternally destroy us is the one who we fear. But get this. The one who alone can eternally destroy us is the one who alone can eternally save us and he has done so in the person of Jesus Christ. While the fear of any other thing in this world that is not God always limits us to our own selfishness, the fear of God always liberates us to our own other-centeredness. So now he calls us. He calls me. He calls you as Christians to act like Jesus, to sacrifice ourselves, our resources, our comforts for the sake of others. Will you? That reminds me of something that happened almost 80 years ago to today. Nazi Germany had just um, signed and they just had an armistice with um, France. France declared war on Germany in 1939 after they invaded their ally Poland. And by within less than a year, Germany had already conquered France, but they'd also conquered um, Netherlands, they conquered Luxembourg, and they'd also uh, conquered um, uh, uh, Belgium. And so now the British were fearful. They thought that they would soon be next. And many of the people were thinking, what was the need of resisting the mighty Nazi army? It was just a matter of time. But just over a month after he became the Prime Minister of Britain, Winston Churchill gave the third of three speeches, speeches on June 18, 1940. And faced with the tide of evil itself and the danger of the despair of the hearts of the people, he concluded with challenging his people with what people will say about them in 1,000 years. This is what he said. But if we fail, then the whole world, including all that we have known and cared for, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say this was their finest hour. What will be said about you in a thousand years? You know, a thousand years plus 700 years, a thousand seven hundred years ago, the Roman Empire around the um, 250 to 270 AD, the Roman Empire was devastated by a terrible plague. We're not sure it could have been measles or it could have been small po uh, smallpox. And at this time, they were being ruled by an emperor called Decius. At the height of this plague, it was said that people in Rome, 5,000 people died in Rome every day. 5,000 people. Decius and other enemies of the church blamed the Christians for the plague. That it was because of the Christians that they had the plague. The unfortunate thing for them is that this claim was undermined by two inconvenient truths for them. What were they? One, that like everybody else, Christians died because of the plague. 
But two, unlike everybody else, Christians took care of the victims of the plague, including Christians, but including their pagan neighbors. It was their finest hour. A century after that, a terrible plague hit the city of Caesarea. But this plague hit after the city had been torn by war and had been already weakened by severe famine. Such that when the plague came, it was too much for the populace. People started to flee from the city and they went for safety into the countryside. People were going left, right, and center, helter-skelter, as we would say in Nigeria, except for one group of people, Christians. Whilst everyone was fleeing away from the plagues, the Christians were running towards the plague. And a historian, a bishop of the city, called Eusebius, wrote these words. Famine, uh, wrote these words, all day long, some of them, that is Christians, tended to the dying and to their burial. Countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others gathered together from all parts of the city, of the, of the city a multitude of those withered from famine and distributed bread to them all. Eusebius later goes on to state that because of their compassion in the midst of the plague, the Christian deeds were on everyone's lips and they glorified the God of the Christians. It was their finest hour. Christians in City Church, Christians in Lagos, Christians in Nigeria, as the infected number of people uh, uh, people who are infected with COVID-19, as it continues to rise, one question will be asked of us. Will this be our finest hour? May it be, the determination, may it be that our determination to live such good lives among non-Christians, that the fear of no one, no virus, nothing except the fear of God Almighty, and the example of a loving, self-sacrificing Savior following Him, may that lead us to our own finest hour. So let us be responsible with our words. Let us be submissive to the authorities. Let us be, sacri let us be sacrificial with our lifestyle. Let us be generous with our resources. And let us rise, rise, rise to meet the challenge, to make our lives count so that all those around us and people 1,000 years from now will say about us, this was their finest hour. And because of that, we will glorify their God. Will you rise to it? Will you make your life count? Let us pray. This is a time more than anything, anything one of the things that we must re, be reinvested in is prayer. That's why as our GCs meet over Zoom and um, maybe other video means, one of the things we're emphasizing is prayer. If you say, I never understood what Paul meant by saying pray without ceasing, now you know. You cannot say that I don't know what to pray about. There are so many things to pray about. But in light of this message, I want us to pray. Let's pray for ourselves. Let's ask God for the courage to wage war against self-centeredness and carelessness in our lives. Ask God that those things, this, 
these evil desires that are in us, these sinful tendencies that we should abstain from, that they don't drive us to become irresponsible, that they don't drive us to live bad lives among the pagans, that they don't stop us from living the kind of life that God wants us to live, the kind of life that is a defense, presents a defense for the gospel, but also recruits people for the gospel. And next, let's ask God for the strength. And many of us need this, the strength to be courageous and to be sacrificial in our lifestyle and to be generous. We've laid down a huge task in the midst of so much, so much accusations about how people, churches use money, and in the midst of many requests made of you, we're asking you to even be more generous. Ask God to give you the wisdom to think innovatively about how you can save money and how you can help. That whilst you secure yourself, that you look to secure others. That while you try to live simply, it will be for the result of, so that others can simply live. But we need strength to show that courage. We need strength to be that generous. We need strength to be that sacrificial. Also ask God to enable us not to live in the limiting fear that COVID-19 can bring. Remember it says that we should only fear God. It is only those people who say, well, at the end of the day, even if following God and the fear of God leads me to lose my life, then that is what I will do. Those kind of people cannot fear anything. Now, the fear of God is not telling us to be careless with our lives, but the fear of God is telling us to be generous, sacrificial with our lives. Sometimes I have been afraid. That's why I go back to Psalm 56, verse 3 and 4. That's when, we, when I am afraid I will put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. Let's go back there and know where to redirect our fears. Know that nothing can happen to us that would happen to us more eternally because Christ has already secured us. And because of that, because he's our Lord, let us do, let us live the lives that he has called us to live without fear. Let us live the lives that he's called us to live that shows us to be people of liberty, people who are free. And let's finally ask God that as we go about this, that lives will be saved. Will be saved both physically and eternally. That it will at least bring a better witness for the Christian faith in our city. And that also it will make many people turn to God and to glorify Him. Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers on mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.